Hey team, welcome to the off-season. The off-season is an exploration of athletic health, recovery, and performance told through stories of athletes and their medical and training team. I hope you enjoy. Now for a quick but mandatory medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of naturopathic medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this material is at user's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they may have and should seek assistance from their trusted healthcare professional for any condition. This podcast does not speak on behalf of naturopathic medicine and does not represent the views of the profession as a whole. Hey team, this week I'm sitting down with my buddy Mike Barber. Uh, He's opening up a new restaurant here in Halifax called Harvest. Uh, And yeah, we chat entrepreneurship, we chat opening up a new biz, we chat all the businesses he's been involved with before. And uh, it's a good meld of sports and entrepreneurship, so check it out. Hey Mike, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How about yourself? Oh, just living the quarantine life. It's uh, it's an interesting world now, hey? Yeah, everything has gone from normal to the new normal, and it's definitely a, a change of pace for, for me and you too, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. It was kind of like for uh, other recordings and even like work and stuff, I just feed off of people's energies. So now when everything is a million miles away, it like pushes me out of my comfort zone, but also... I mean, you can get really cool guests on that maybe I wouldn't have been able to sit down with, right? Ah, there's a little bit of a compliment there, I think. Anytime. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you're one of those guests, even though you work up the street from me. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. But I know that my day-to-day has changed drastically and even the way that, you know, I conduct business and, and try to interact with people in the community is essentially non-existent right now. So from a business perspective, it's definitely been challenging from a, you know, this, a guy who tries to stay fit and active, it's extremely uh, challenging, but definitely have changed a lot of things I've done on a daily basis. Um, and then just from a mental perspective, it's been challenging as well. So if there's good, hopefully we can find it in this conversation. Yeah, hundred percent. I think like, that's the biggest thing. People have been asking me um, so many questions on Instagram and stuff, just like how to work out now and how to stay healthy and what they should be eating. And what, why don't you like walk people through what you've been doing? Yeah. So one thing I've always been someone who's like very in tune with calories in, calories out and what I'm putting in my body and things like that. And I think now that you're forced to stay inside, I've realized how much more important that is for me anyway. And I know a lot of people, it, it, it might be a bit of overkill, but you know, you can, you know, turn the page and not listen to me if you don't want to, but I, I, I choose to kind of stay close to those things. And, and I know that when you're inside all day, regardless of how hard your workout was that morning or that afternoon, you're not as active and your, your needs, your, the amount of exercise you're getting outside of actually working out is, isn't as, is, I guess, prevalent. So, you know, finding ways to get out of the house and stay active, whether it's, you know, throwing in extra pushups or walking outside, it's, it's just, it's just trying to stay active in ways you're not normally used to. And, and that's been a bit of a challenge, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And like, I don't know, you and I both love heavy lifting. So there's so many things we can't go to anymore. And it's just, I don't know, just a, all that pent up energy and, and kind of turns into anxiety sometimes. Have you been feeling any of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it for me is something we talked about before we started was my, my stimulant addiction, my self-proclaimed <laughs> addiction anyway. I will <laughs> say it is an addiction for sure. <laughs> but in, in, uh, in, in knowing that that, you know, caffeine is something that I, I choose to 
put in quite often in my body and then having, you know, an exercise schedule that's, you know, pretty taxing on your body as well. Um, you know, I've been having trouble sleeping and trying to find ways to combat that. And really it's just changing when I go to bed and when I wake up based on quarantine, um, and just changing your schedule all around. So the anxiety for me originally started, uh, I guess when I was just going to sleep and not really having that schedule right away, because I knew that tomorrow was going to be different based on the situation we were in in the world. And then what, what I did was I, I started just, you know, planning my day a bit different. Uh, typically I, I would go to bed normally around like 10 or 11, uh, you know, 11 o'clock is pretty normal. Um, now it's more like 12, 1230 and I wake up probably an hour later. So the meat and potatoes of the day is, is really, it's still there. Um, but my schedule is a bit different because I know that, you know, I, I take a lot of caffeine and the anxiety has an effect directly associated with that, which I'm sure you can speak to much more candidly than I can. You never thought of removing some of the caffeine, hey? <laughs> well, I'm thinking about it, but I haven't done it yet. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's huge too. Just keeping a routine. Like that's kind of what I've been saying to everyone and and it is pure panic, but like the unknown is panic inducing in itself. So what can you control? What you do each day, right? Move your body, put good food into it, try to keep like a regular sleep routine. And that's really like it for the most part, because we don't really know what's going to happen, whether it be like business wise or what the new normal we're going back to is, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and for me specifically, a couple things that I've, I've changed in my day that I can speak to is one is I've always been a big uh, reader, whether it's actually reading a book or an audio book. Um, I also like to, I call it self-educate or just like do my own kind of spend my own time on YouTube and listen to different uh, videos in the fitness space and in the business space. So I kind of, I, I kind of taken that next step to schedule time throughout the day when I'm taking part in those activities. And it's really downtime, but it gives me more structure where things that I would do in passing, whether it's in the evening or, you know, in the morning when I'm, I'm not as busy, I'm now doing not on a schedule, but more or less it's after I finish my workout or after I have a, a meeting or after I have, you know, this bulk of work done, that's when I'll do these kind of like uh, self, you know, fulfillment things and really not have, like, I, I would never go as far as to put something like that into my schedule or into my calendar, but, just knowing that it's part of my day gives me that more of that, you know, you know, that, that whole uh, stable outlook of towards what's happening in the next 24 hours. Yeah. hundred percent. Have you learned anything cool lately? Kind of what I've, what I've actually been looking at and it's totally outside of my typical skill set is I've always been pretty handy, but I, I know that because we can't, you know, purchase certain gym equipment, we can't go to the gym. I've started to make, like I, I made a plyo box. Uh, I'm going to try to make a bench. And then just from like doing that and looking at some of the new skills that I've tr I'm trying to teach myself anyway, um, I'm thinking about making a desk maybe if this continues. Whoa. I know. And I, I would, I'd like to make it like very nice and high end, have nice finishes and stuff like that. So I think it means really like what I'd like to have is like a two day project might be like a week long project. You're going to be like, what's his name from the notebook? Just making all the furniture and refurbishing your own house and stuff. If you're calling me Ryan Gosling, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's sweet. <laughs> no, that like so many skills that can come from this. If we just spend time, like I've told myself the past three weeks to like pick up a guitar and use it, try something new, you know? I know exactly what you mean. And then there's only so many things you can do in your, in your house that you've done in the past, but trying new things is definitely out of my comfort zone, but we're working on it. Yeah. And then like the worst part about it is the, the Netflix series, or I just got crave. That was a horrible move on my part. <laughs> the best, the best five ninety nine you spent last month. A hundred percent. I think I've watched uh, so much stuff, but the handmaid's tale, have you heard of that show? 
heard it. I'm not sure I've seen it. Oh, it's crazy. Like, it's probably my worst nightmare. It's like talking, taking all the intelligent women and like stripping them of all of their rights and like ability to read. And all. like when I watch it, I, I get stifled. I can like feel the anxiousness start to build. It's crazy. Like one of those books you can't put down. Even though yeah, 100%. Um, so I kind of want to add you on the off season because you like know the ins and outs of kind of the supplement realm pretty well. And um, I think Rivalist at one point was like the largest sports supplement company in Canada, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, North America was, was definitely, we were one of the top ones at the time. Um, I was lucky enough to, to start with that company when I was in my undergrad in Windsor, Ontario, and then fast forward to going to work for them upon graduating. And, and then the company sold, I think three, maybe four years after that, but it was a very, very unique experience where we were a small amount of people did a ton of business all over North America. And here in Canada, we were definitely a household name. It was definitely, I think where I was able to launch my career. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, I don't know, Rivalist just goes hand in hand with every gym that I've ever been to. You always see, you know, some sort of protein powder or supplement on the, on the shelf. Um, why don't we take it back to the beginning? Like hockey was your sport, right? It was. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start or how did it all go down? when did hockey start? Yeah. Like as For soon me? as you could walk or. Uh, I, th- I have a big brother who's two years older than me, Jamie. And like any kid in Canada, uh, we, he played hockey before I did. And I probably started at the age of five or six just because it was what my big brother was doing. And then we, uh, we, we became like that crazy nutty family that was in the rink every weekend. And we were the kids out playing road hockey literally all day, every day. Um, the coolest thing about my upbringing that I don't talk about this much is we were lucky enough to have a rink, an outdoor rink, a full size arena, um, maybe three blocks from our house. It's called the West Side Community Center and it was open to the public. And I, I literally lived there every day. It was open for every winter. Um, and I, I always took that for granted when I was a kid and not realizing how cool that was because there's so many kids that probably didn't have that experience where you think now where, kids you know some some kids have the the ability to go on ice for extra sessions and you know extra lessons and play summer leagues and things like that I literally had the experience to never come off the ice as a kid in the wintertime because of the west side community center in New Glasgow and it's still there today and I know a lot of kids in the community don't take that for granted yeah that's so awesome I think uh, my husband and I are looking to build one in our backyard Um, they're going to call it like the Mount Denson rec center I think but it's exactly like you say if you want to be great at something you have to do it all day every day right yeah the thing about our community too was we had I don't not the first actually it was probably the first two Stanley Cup champions from Nova Scotia and I hope I'm not miss I'm not I'm not I didn't misspeak by saying that uh, John Sim and Colin White, both from New Glasgow. And I was in that age where they would have been, you know, winning the first, I think John Sim won the cup in 99 and then Colin the next year and a couple of years after that. And I was at that tender age where like you would idolize players like that and, and seeing that happen like in your, in your community was a huge motivator for me, even just to, to play hockey at the, the, the low level that I did. Um, you know, I know our, our community since then has produced a ton of, uh, semi-pro professional players and it's likely to do with you know guys like that setting the the way for them yeah definitely and I think like I don't know even just seeing that it's possible makes it feel real right like Sydney for us I mean 
he's my generation so it wasn't as big for me because you kind of just watched it happen but like all of these kids that are coming out of Coal Harbor in Nova Scotia like what an inspiration for you know little kids around here oh it's it's incredible really and now I'm a bit removed from the game and and you know the kids that are playing now but my brother's quite, quite close to that he's uh, he's involved with the junior A organization in Truro and does all kinds of work throughout the, the Maritimes but the amount of kids that are playing major junior now from Nova Scotia opposed to, you know, 10 years ago, because there's so little amount of exposure for, for Nova Scotia kids. You know, when you have literally the best player in the world and, and Sydney Crosby come from here, you, you, you obviously give more opportunity to kids from this area. And then Nathan McKinnon, Brad Marchand, there's 10, 15 more that are, you know, knocking on the doors of the NHL now. Yeah. It's so awesome. Um, what was like hockey like growing up for you? Was it your passion or did you play it because it was there or what was your style? hundred percent a passion. I, I was, I think if you had met me at the age of 19 or 18, like I was, you would have thought that this guy was going to try to play hockey until he's 50 years old and some crazy semi pro league old timers after that and just never stopped playing. Um, and that was the way I, I operated until, uh, I think probably two, two years into my undergrad, but I, I, I was the, the kid who probably wasn't that good, but had a, a above average work ethic and was very fit. So I was able to take fitness um, from a, let's call it off ice or training perspective and allow that to get me to the same level as the good players from you know, Nova Scotia. And then to take it a step further, when kids would start to, let's say, party and, you know, go play high school hockey because they weren't as, you know, dedicated, that then gave me the, the stepping stone as well to separate myself a bit and say, well, he, he is able to use his hard work and dedication opposed to the skill set he has and, and kind of like move into that skill set over time and develop it much slower than everyone else. But it wasn't really uh, something I was gifted with at all. Um, but I, I definitely did it the hard way, I guess. And I think it's definitely a, a lesson that makes things much more, um, I respect a lot more now after doing it that way, I guess. Yeah. And I think like, I don't know, I talked to a bunch of young kids now and I'll go into like, I don't know, let's say Bantam kids and go talk about nutrition and stuff. And like, it's just so far out of their realm of, of, except for maybe like one or two kids who you see, you know, quite a lot of potential in, but honestly, there's so many good players now. What is the main difference between them? It's, you know, how well they're eating, what their office looks like, you know, how easy it is for them to put muscle mass on and how dedicated they are to the game, you know? Absolutely. And I think your, your last comment about dedication is, is really, it sums up all of those things and it's, it is hard to come by. But when you, you, when you have the ability or the, the situation where you combine that dedication with, you know, I call it MBT, natural born talent. Mm. And then you, you have that combination of that athlete, any sport, but we're talking about hockey. That's, that's a special thing, I think. And you, you, we see that more now just because, you know, um, athleticism has come such a long way because we have, we have more opportunity for kids in Nova Scotia. We have, we have better coaches. We have a better system. You know, we have paved the way through different athletes and different people who have you know, open up the way for, for kids from here. And it's, it's really great to see. Yeah. I think it's like a, a half and a half what I've seen so far, like the opportunities are there, but I'm not sure. I mean, this could be a biased opinion. I don't hang out with a lot of kids often, but um, what it takes to make it, I think is a little bit lost on some people these days or in this generation. Have you noticed that or are you around that at all? Yeah, I definitely, and I, I've, this is something I've, I've thought about a lot, you know, and it's really, it's hard to come to the reality when you're in small Nova Scotia, but 
making it, and in this case, we're talking about making it to the, the National Hockey League, let's say, there's so many kids out there. And, and I honestly don't think it's a bad thing that we, we're sheltered in such a small place because it doesn't allow, doesn't allow the kids or in any, in whatever the case is to have that extra noise or see everyone else around them that is, they're competing with because they're so fixated on themselves becoming better that the noise is shut off. So there's less distractions. And I know if you take that example and you look at, let's say Nova Scotia as an example, where I grew up in Nova Scotia or even smaller places like Amherst and Truro, I know kids who were kids at the time, they're grown men now who they didn't live in HRM. They didn't play for the best teams, the best players, but they were, they lived in Amherst, Nova Scotia, and they didn't have these distractions. An example that I'm giving is someone who works so hard in a small community that they didn't let everything else influence them, that they don't have that skill and that those experiences that someone would say in Halifax would have at the time, but they were able to block out everything else and make it just about themselves. And I think of, let's say, uh, Conor McGregor, where when he trains for a fight, he, he just says, this is my team. No one else is talking to me for the next three months. And it's just me in this bubble. I don't care about anything else. You know, take that mentality. And when you have that in a, a hockey situation or in a hockey world, um, you know, those are the kids I think that have really special stories because they're able to go from these small towns and, and blossom into professional athletes. And it doesn't happen very often. Don't get me wrong. But when it does, I think that has a lot to do with it is, is being in that isolation. Yeah. And that dedication to like continually looking to get better. I would say like, there's a lot of people who have that natural skill, but without the dedication, it's nothing. Right. And I see oftentimes like a lot of uh, parents want it more than the kid. Right. Yeah. That seems to be uh, the case more often than not sometimes. Yeah. I'll probably be that parent to be honest with you. <laughs> um, what about, so like, tell me about junior A. I know you played junior A, right? Yeah, so my brother has told me some horror stories, and I'm sure I'm not allowed to, like, mention them, and I don't know if you want to talk about any of them, but I would say, like, I mean, of a few of the leagues, there's some pretty crazy stories that come out of that league, hey? Yeah, and I think I was just getting into the, the Maritime Junior A Hockey League when that was starting to go away, like, just starting to go away, but I know, I know that uh, now it's much different. I think there's only two fights per – there's a rule where you essentially can't fight anymore in hockey, but in Junior A, it's, it's even worse. Um, I remember uh, I played junior in New Glasgow and uh, it was my hometown. I was there for three years. We, uh, we played in, I forget what it was called. It was called the Meek Division or the East Division. And I remember playing against Anaganish one time and their coach was John Brophy. Rest in peace, John Brophy. But after the game, we had won and he was so mad that he came on our bus and tried to fight our coach. Oh my God. And this is an eight. I don't, he was very old and I don't want to misspeak again, but that's, he might've been 80 years old and he was so like that, that, and that was normal. And I remember going to watch my brother play in, in situations because he was a couple of years before me and seeing like, not men, but monsters who would have no place in hockey now. And thinking to myself as like a 5'10", 180 pound hockey player growing out against this like, seven foot tall monster who came from like Glace Bay and like never seen the light of day until he came to, you know, play for the Truro Bearcats and him out there just beating up everybody was, was a normal thing. Um, I, I'm thinking of stories that have stuff that's happened. I'm not going to tell these, these <laughs> things that went on, but. It, I it feel was, like after the recordings, I get all the good stories and people yeah, are itching for them. <laughs> that, that league was, was, it was a super cool experience and it was scary some nights. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like 
Amherst was called the uh, the jungle. That's what the <laughs> rink was called. And then when you'd skate around and warm up, people would throw pennies on the ice, and you'd have to skate over them. And oh but actually, one thing I can say is the Anaganish Arena. Um, I don't think it's. I'm not sure if it's still there anymore or not. But that's where the Bulldogs played. And anytime you got a penalty in Anaganish, there would be these same two or three hecklers behind the penalty box who would literally like be behind you throwing shit at you. Like they'd be throwing water and pop and popcorn and, you know, all 15 people in the stands. Those two are probably out to get you. Yeah. It's so crazy. Like it's hard enough to play hockey, play your best game, and then you're getting pelted with stuff. It's like that movie goon, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool. So second year university, you kind of gave up on hockey or just wasn't aligning with what you were doing anymore. Tell me about that. I wouldn't know. I definitely didn't give up on it. I I think there came a point in in my academic career where, you know, the realization came in that there there was no hockey for me after, after university. Um, And I was, I was definitely okay with that. And I think just when that clicked, you know, school started to become more natural for me. I spent more time on it. Um, I really just changed my focus where, you know, hockey hockey really wasn't the end all be all, you know, I was a business student. I was playing my career. I was, I was looking forward to what was next. I was, you know, making decisions, you know, both academically and financially for my future rather than just trying to go play for a hockey team. Um, and that was, that was definitely a, a turning point because like I said, like me at, at 18, 19 was, was playing hockey forever. And then, uh, you know, I, I, I changed a lot, but just by, by going to school taking that route and, and becoming more of a, an academic and a professional rather than um, an athlete. And in doing that, I think I, I learned a lot about myself. I learned about, you know, what's really important, what I wanted to do in my future, uh, you know, and how I wanted to move forward. And it was still, I was lucky enough to still have the athletic involvement in my career for most of it. Um, and on a personal level, it's, it's always been there and always will be there. Uh, but, you know, from a business perspective, um, I've been lucky enough too to kind of be involved with a lot of athletes and, and, you know, people who are involved in, in that space. Yeah. You still kind of have it with you a little bit. I find like that is a really big decision. And a lot of athletes are um, sometimes in appointments with me, like hitting those ideas of being like, I don't know if this is for me anymore. And like, I want to do this or I want to do other things um, emotionally and like kind of headspace wise, was that a really hard decision or were you like, no, this is, I know where I'm going with the rest of this be honest with you I think it was kind of made for me just based on not being good enough mm-hmm. sounds bad but you know I was I I wasn't able to I wasn't skilled enough to play hockey forever and I almost I'm almost thankful that I wasn't a bit better because if I was I might have made that decision to go play in, in some league somewhere and you know prolong my professional career a few more years um and it sounds bad based on my, you know, my life goals as a kid wanting to play professional hockey more than anything, but it was, it was definitely something I don't regret, but uh, it was, it was really made for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, what happened after university? So when I, I, I graduated in 2011 and that year, the year before I had won an academic scholarship that Rivalist had sponsored. And uh, after being in, in uh, in Windsor for those last two years uh, as a sponsored athlete for Rivalist, I of course was uh, thankful for that opportunity and, and went and worked for them in Halifax. So I moved, excuse me, I moved to uh, Halifax from Windsor, Ontario. Awesome. And just for people listening who don't know what Rivalist is, do you want to give them like a little bit of a breakdown of the company? Sure. So Rivalist is a company that still exists today. It's a uh, sports nutrition company 
uh, in a nutshell at the time in the, uh, I want to say 2011 to 2014, 15, what we did was we made uh, essentially pills and powders for professional Olympic athletes. We were the athletes brand. We were known across uh, Canada and the U S in, in a very large way. We, we sold our products at GNC and all the retailers across Canada and the United States. Um, and then that company sold in 2014, I believe. And uh, that's when I left. So um, we were, we were a supplement company and it was, it was unique in a way because a large part of my role when I started was managing and growing and building our, our list and roster of professional Olympic athletes. So on a daily basis, I was working with NFL, MLB, NHL players all over the world, uh, agents, uh, teams, coaches, um, everywhere. So that was a, a very unique experience and one that I wouldn't have, have had the opportunity to really take on if it wasn't for my background as an athlete and speaking that language and knowing, you know, how to, how to exist in that community. Yeah, for sure. And with all of those, like, did you get to get quite personal with the athletes or was more so like in a selling kind of sense or with the athletes, there was never really any selling um, with, let's say the strength coaches, the team coaches, the agents, there's a ton of selling and that's a totally different skill set. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I definitely have a, to this day, I think I can think of two or three athletes that I met while working at Rivalist. I'm still friends with and call on New Year's and Christmas and I know their families and they know mine and, you know, they're, they're friends to this day. Um, and again, I can go back and think of uh, relationships that were just one way and that's the way it always was. And I was fine with that. Of course, I wasn't there to make friends. Um, but I also know that, that that's a, that's the, the reality in the professional sports world is you have those very, you know, typical uh, selfish personalities that just want product for free and you might be able to use them in a social media picture or something. And then you have individuals who want to give back and want to know about you and want to, you know, hang out and grow that way. And then you have some ones that are, are just weird because as we know, athletes are very weird in some cases. So it's, it's really just human nature when it comes down to it and being able to talk to people more than anything. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, what about like, you're pretty close to the supplement world and have kind of been through a few different companies supplement wise. And then on my end, I always come from it from like a functional medicine perspective of supplements, but um, have you seen them evolve quite a bit over time or what is your kind of, I don't know, belief system or statement around supplementation? Statement is a tough one, and I, I'll agree that it's evolved an immense amount in the last 10 years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think that has a lot to do with two things. One being the necessity of athletes needing to be educated on what they're putting in their bodies, and then the governing bodies that regulate those systems, um, knowing that if you're a business or a brand that operates in the supplement industry, you need to have certain regulations to show how efficacious your formulations and, and business and brand is. If you don't have that, there's no such thing as an athlete endorsing or using or trying to use your product, nor should there be. Whereas I want to say probably 10 years ago, there, it was very much a, a tainted space where there was all kinds of professional athletes testing positive for banned substances. And then that kind of hit a, a tipping point as well. And then this whole industry became much more clean than it's been in the past. I think um, a statement that's definitely a way to describe the industry is, is still growing. It's definitely mm-hmm. a, a space that's not done becoming clean yet. It's not completely cleaned up. But in knowing that, I know that the, the people that you know, are making millions of dollars and putting these products in their, in their bodies are, are definitely much more educated than they've been previously. 
Yeah, that's encouraging for sure to think that way that, uh, you know, the higher level ups are actually trying to, to build good products and, and put, I mean, for the most part, put good things out there. Do you think there's still a massive knowledge gap between what athletes need and what is being created? Yes and no. I, I see a lot of fluff out there now as well, where brands are, are really starting to get into the, the weeds and seed sides of things that allow them to state that they're clean and they are clean, but how valuable is that compound for an athlete? It's, it's you know, TBD. Um, and I, I think that's the, the frustrating part is not only does the industry allow for fluff to take place and products to say they do certain things when they don't or don't as they should, but it also gives brands the opportunity to showcase themselves as, you know, things that they're not. So athletes can be fooled just like any consumer. So if we're talking about consumer behaviors and, and how people conceive different products on the shelf, there's definitely a room for improvement. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. And and so many times I'll get like representatives emailing me or <laughs> when I look at the products, I'm just like, well, there's not a functional dose of anything in here. And sure, it might not hurt people, but like, that's really expensive for what you're taking, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I think now you're seeing more and more of that where well, on both ends, actually, where, you know, companies like that are, are popping up everywhere, but typically MLM models where a lot of times they're pyramid schemes and they're, you know, they're tricking people, which is, you know, a whole other sin in its own. Yeah, definitely. And it's so interesting. Like there's more and more come out and it's, I kind of feel bad for the consumer to know what they need and know um, what they should be taking and what brands and often people we'll start to, where I ask patients to bring in like a bag of all the supplements they're taking. And it's like, well, you could probably just throw it out and it would do the same thing, you know? So yeah, it, no, it's interesting. Right. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where it goes in the future. And I think like a really nice blend between what I do and what uh, supplement companies could possibly do would be cool because there's, there's so many uh, presentations that athletes have that there's no supplements out there that they're able to take safely, you know? I, I think I definitely agree. I think where the industry is going to that type of customer is it's really a, a customer who, you know, subscribes to your schools of thought and it's going to become full customization. I think in the future where you're seeing brands work with both the tech side and, and the, and the brand side where a consumer packaged good is, you know, catered specifically for Dr. Cokes. And then if, you know, her, friend over here wanted to take a similar product, you know, would have to be changed a little bit for her needs and things like that. So I, I think in the future, that'll be the, the reality we're living in. Yeah, that'll be so cool. And like, I'm sure there'll be blood tests and, you know, salivary tests to figure out exactly what you're deficient in and, and make it so specific. And I know like athletogen is coming down the line with all the genetic inputs to, you know, optimize performance and stuff. So it's so exciting to see what's coming down the line. Yeah, absolutely. There's the amount of, of things happening in this space right now, both whether it's a, you know, call it an editable or a drinkable product, um, kind of infuse the technology side is, is changing quite often. And the, 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 I guess when this actually comes to life and we see, you know, those two marriages come together will be very, uh, very unique. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's pretty interesting kind of I don't know how many businesses you've been involved with and things that you've started on your own. Do you, this is kind of a funny question, but like has sports impacted your ability to become an entrepreneur? Oh, hundred percent. Like without question. So and how so? I think it has, it's more of, it's more of um, 
looking at situations and overcoming them where in, in a sport environment, if you're in a, if you're in a championship game, you know that you certain things you should be doing. You learn these things over time. You have to mentally prepare. You've trained for this. You know, you're, you're at the rink an hour early. You're, you're thinking about different situations. You're walking through the power play. You're walking through, um, you know, what's going to happen if we pull a goalie, what's going to happen on the penalty kill, things like that. And you're rehearsing everything. And I've, I've met entrepreneurs who are not athletes and they're extremely successful and they have a skill set where they can, you know, we say we fly into New York city tomorrow. Uh, we go out tonight or we go out the night before we drink, we're hung over the next day and they're on just like that. And they're, they're just like, they're always a certain way because they do not need to prepare. They have the ability, they have that MBT again to go into any situation and just overwhelm people. Whereas mm -hmm. I think athletes who have an entrepreneur skill set, even if they have that same MBT as the first person I spoke of, no matter what they're, you know, they're going to bed early. They're, they're preparing, they're walking through different models for their presentation and just having that whole, like how you prepare for the game mentality has been instrumental. And in, in, for me, because I've tried to keep up to these individuals who had that skill set to come in and just do without preparation. It just doesn't work for me. So I just kind of like go back to ground zero and what's worked for me is, is really, you know, every time I'm meeting with someone, whether it's a, you know, a fortune 500 company, if for, as an example, versus, you know, a small coffee vendor in Halifax, my preparation is the same. Like I need to know what's happening. I need to know who I'm talking to. I need to know what's going to take place. And I really have the agenda for that meeting. This is just an example, but the preparation side of it is, is very much the same as an athletic contest. Um, and it's, it's, it's twofold for, for athletes and, and, you know, business people who have that, that background. I think. Yeah, that's super interesting. And like, that's a good, you know, association to make just to be prepared. And um, yeah, that's cool. I think it's, it's from what you've done so far, like with the good stuff brand and kind of moved up the ranks and stuff. Do you want to give people a little bit of background of like the companies that you've worked with and um, the brands that you've started on your own? Yeah, sure. So we, we talked about Rivalist and I guess how I started my, my career. Um, and that, that uh, when Rivalist sold in 2014, I believe, it might have been the end of 2013, I, uh, I, I started a, new, a company myself as a, as a one-man show, essentially, called Good Stuff Brand, which was a consumer packaged good. Uh, excuse me, when we launched, we had a, a glass bottle, 300 milliliter coconut water product. We sold it across uh, Canada sorry, across Sobeys and Loblaws in Canada. We then introduced, uh, you know, a coffee flavor. We got into supplements a bit. And then um, I, I ran that company for almost just over three years um, out of Halifax and then moved to Toronto for acquisition, which was a whole other unique, you know, experience, which I probably shouldn't tell you all the details of, but very unique to say the least. Um, but I was, I was lucky enough to, to exit on that and, and, and kind of sell that business. And in doing that, um, I, uh, I left it behind and moved on after just starting this thing from nothing and, and, and kind of passing on. And then when I was in Toronto, I, uh, I joined a company called Freshy, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Freshy's a, a, a healthy, fast, casual restaurant. Um, it's in 16 countries all over the world. Um, I believe there are four to 500 some locations now and our head offices in Toronto went public in 2017. And I, I helped them build an arm of their business called The Daily, which is uh, meal delivery, meal kits, juice cleanses uh, from an online presence where if you're ordering 
uh, a meal plan for, let's say, to lose weight, gain muscle, uh, grow taller, run faster, whatever it is, uh, it's customized to your health and fitness goals. Um, so implementing that in their system and helping them on the, on the franchise development side, I, I was there for two years and then flew back to Halifax about a year ago. And as, as you mentioned, um, you're going to exhaust me by talking about all this stuff, but as you mentioned, I opened another business, which mm-hmm. is, is opening hopefully next month. And, and what that is, is, is a company called Harvest, which myself and, and two business partners are opening in Bedford. So Harvest is a very unique, healthy concept restaurant. And uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be having a, a very unique, healthy, fast, casual restaurant concept where we're serving things like, like nutritious protein bowls, predominantly plant-based with some meat options, um, salads, paninis. We're going to be very heavy on our cold-pressed juice business. And our, our, cold chest, sorry, our cold-pressed juice business will both be a brand for the four walls of our restaurant and uh, retail presence um, across HRM and then growing across Canada is the ideal plan. The unique thing about Harvest too is we're having what's called a farm to table eatery concept, which allows us to grow our own vegetables through a hydroponic grow. So we're gonna be having some of our vegetables grown on site um, in our restaurant as well as at other farms we're working with across Nova Scotia. That's so cool. I'm so excited for that because it's really difficult to get good food on the fly. And I know you can go to the grocery store and get stuff, but I'm always like, how long has that, you know, salad been there? And even when you kind of like look what's in it, it's processed meats and that sort of stuff. So being able to send people here and, and this is not fair because you used to work at Freshie too, but a lot of people are like, oh, well, I had like a Freshie, I don't know, what was the, uh, there was one bowl, the Buddha bowl. And I was like, well, that's all pasta and like some peanut butter sauce, you know? So if your goal is body composition changes, like we always, just because it's green does not mean it's healthy, you know, always. Um, so this is exciting to me that there's going to be something new that I can send people over to. Yeah. We, we've been working on it for probably three months now. And uh, we're, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have two, very dedicated business partners who come from the restaurant industry from a on the ground perspective who have built, you know, restaurants in HRM from the ground up and done a, a great job at that. Um, whereas I'm more of the, the brand um, innovation guy to help the, the biz dev, you know, grow the four walls and outside of the four walls as well. Um, but we're, we're probably, our plan was to launch for May, first weekend in May, but the, the reality of the world we live in now is things are changing and, you know, we're trying to adapt. So we do have the ability to open with mobile ordering and our drive through because we do have a drive through So we're planning to open in May with our drive through and mobile ordering. Sweet. I'll be there for sure. Um, I think it's cool. Like there's so many times I often hear stories of, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but like people's main idea was um, hockey and they invested everything into it or whatever sport. And then they kind of slacked off in school and they were kind of like left in a little bit of a bind situation and didn't have all of the opportunities open to them. So um, just with your experience, like I think you're humble when you say a lot of the things that you've been a part of, I think you have like instrumental change in a lot of those things. So is there any like tips or advice that you would give young athletes coming up with um, kind of maybe like a spirit for entrepreneurship? Yeah. I think the the biggest thing that I would suggest is if you believe that your goal is to play professional hockey, don't let anyone tell you otherwise, no matter what, if your mom or dad tells you that you can't afford it or you're not good enough, don't listen to them. If your coach doesn't play you enough, or you're the fourth line player, 
fourth line players are still in the national hockey league. So there's a chance if you have that mentality and you give it everything you have, you might not make from the NHL, but there's lots of great things that can happen. And I remember, I remember um, an individual who I think we both know Troy Ryan gave me an analogy one time and it was surrounding, um, you know, it was, we were talking university hockey and um, you know, going to play major junior and all, and obviously when you come out of midget, and midget, you're typically 15, 16 years old. You want to play major junior because you can it's much easier to go play pro after that. But the reality of that happening is very small. But if you're playing junior A versus major junior, you're, you're going to end up in the same place, which is university hockey. So if, if, if you're not quite there yet in junior A, there's still hope for you to play university hockey. And I think, you know, at that tender age right now of let's call it 18 to to 20 years old where you're starting to make life decisions. That's one thing I would, I would, you know, pass on to any listeners in that demographic as well as, is, is that if there's an opportunity for you to play university hockey, then you've, you've gotten something out of this whole hockey thing because you have, in some cases, you have some of your school paid for, if not the whole thing, you're, you're going to a new city surrounded by new people and you're going to be obviously getting a degree. You know, those changes are going to be huge changes in your career. And, they're, they're very simultaneous with, with my background and how I, I came into this space, but it's, uh, it would be my number one piece of advice would be until you know that you're, you can't play anymore or you don't want to play anymore. Don't let anyone tell you that you're not good enough. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much because it, it's sometimes just us getting in our own heads saying, not thinking that it's possible. Right. Um, what about like, next like so I mean Harvest is going to be a huge adventure for you for sure and with you know the current climate who knows what's going to happen but do you have any like pipe dreams that you're willing to share with us I, I, I definitely do and I'm someone who you know who plans out a lot of things like I, I write things down every day um, I, I subscribe to the, the five minute journal I, uh, I'm very I'm very diligent with you know writing goals down and having timelines associated with them I, um, I know that, you know, Harvest, Harvest for me and our partners is something we want to grow. We want it to be more than just one location. We want it to be, you know, we want to have multiple locations across HRM and then beyond and, and who knows, but I, uh, I want to have something that I can, I can pass on when I'm, when I'm retired or moved on. So I want to build a legacy that allows me to have something to hang my hat on. What that means for me, I'm not too sure yet, but I know that, you know, when I'm, you know, 50 or 60 years old or beginning to think about retiring probably much later than that, actually, I want to say that, you know, I can look at something and say, I, I built that. So building something that's actually a physical thing is, is very important to me. That's cool. And then, I don't know, all of our chats that we've ever had, it's always like, I don't know, optimization and, and human performance and talking about kind of like what's coming down the line next and I've always noticed um with everything that you've kind of accomplished this like mental fortitude that you have would you say like you were born with that or is that something that developed over time uh I don't know I, I don't think I was born with it I think you know I I was associated I was, I was around some very unique people in my upbringing that one showed me extremely um it's called strict examples of hard work um, and then skill can come with that. And I also think that it comes with, you know, not, not winning all the time. And it, like, don't get me wrong. Like I had a great childhood, grew up normal and loved my mom and dad and family and whatnot. But, you know, I, I definitely wasn't always 
uh, on the path for success. And I definitely wasn't always someone who you would say, um, you know, that person's going places. And I think that kind of bugged me when I was a kid, like not being great in school when I was really young and then fixing that at, at an early age, for example. Um, recognizing that so much more is out there and it goes back to a couple of little things. And I think the example I gave you earlier about growing up in the same community is two Stanley cup champions. That definitely had an impact on me. Um, knowing that, you know, the amount of money in your, your family's bank account at the age of 15 wasn't enough for you when you're older. Um, knowing that you wanted to, you know, grow up and experience a lot of things outside of Nova Scotia. I've lived in Toronto for, you know, four years, Calgary for a year. Um, who knows? I might move again, but uh, just knowing there's certain things that I wanted to experience and, and have more, you know, opportunity to experience was definitely always on my mind. Yeah. How important was um, visualizing that and kind of writing things that down? Like, did you always journal or is this something like you've picked up recently? Definitely picked up recently. Um, and I don't even think it's journaling, but, because for me, it's like, I'm not, I'm not someone who's writing my thoughts down. I'm more mm-hmm. like I'm following them. If you're familiar with the five minute journal, and I've talked about this numerous times, it's, it's just like, it's like a, you wake up weights off your shoulders and there's one or two things there that you know that when you go back at 10 o'clock at night to close off the day, if it's not done, you're going to fucking excuse my language. You're going to be pissed. And that's how mm-hmm. I operate. If there's something there that's not where it should be, like I need to fix that. So that's been a, a game changer for me. Um, but writing things down, I, I go back to like in my parents' house, I'll go through like old, I just crazy stuff that I wrote down, like goals I still haven't attained. Um, and that's been a huge, huge, uh, you know, thing in my life is, is like going high, like reaching high and, you know, laying somewhere in the middle and every once in a while hitting the home run and, and having a lot to do with it is, is planning that and, and it really, you know, not caring what people think, as I said earlier. It's, uh, it's definitely something I'll continue to do and would suggest that any young man or woman do. Yeah, I think it's so important. And I was talking to a young kid today and he, he was like, um, yeah, I'd like to make that team. And then I was just like, say it differently. Say I'm going to make that team. And he said it differently and he smiled. And I was just like, okay, well, like, do you, know, do you see the difference between those two sentences? Like one is actually possible. One's like, meh who cares a little bit, you know? Um, and I, I find with like a lot of patients and a lot of athletes that I work with, the writing down part is huge because, you know, half the time I could have the dumbest argument in my head of two schools of thought that I made up right over a, a scenario that's not even happening. So I think when things get down pen to paper, we can actually see, you know, a culmination of our headspace. And then we can also plan for the future, which reduces a lot of anxiety too. Right. Absolutely. And I use it in all facets of life. It's, it's something that I would, I would never stop doing and will continue to do, even if it's just for, you know, passive, you know, journaling while we're in a pandemic, who knows, but it's, it's definitely a great skill set. Do you um, do anything else? Like, I don't know, meditation, breath work, or anything of your recovery process that is interesting or that you want to share with people? Only as a result of our conversations, to be honest with you, I, I started meditating maybe like three or four times when we lived in Toronto because everyone's really artsy and cool there. And some of my <laughs> friends were very eccentric, but it, it wasn't anything I did on a regular basis. Um, and it, I know that there's benefits to do it. I haven't seen those benefits yet. That's not something I've done consistently. So if you're kicking me in the butt to start, I will. Do it, do it. <laughs> I, I, the breathing side of it. And I know, I know I'm doing it anyway, when it comes to like stress, when it comes to, uh, 
let's say like very tough physical challenges. I'm, I breathe different. Like I, I, I used to, well, before Citadel Hill closed, I was running Citadel Hill countless times a day when the gym was closed. And I know that I breathe differently running. Not obviously you breathe heavier running, but I breathe very strategically when I'm doing runs like that. Cause you're sprinting. And then when I'm going down the hill, like I'm essentially holding my breath the whole time until I can fill my lungs back up again. And that really like allowed me to be much more calm and collective afterwards. Yes, that's huge. And I think um, we're always that bigger, stronger, faster mindset. And I'm the same way. And I think I talk about this a lot, but I think every podcast I mentioned breathwork because it's such a game changer and it can take you from that sympathetic fight or flight state into the parasympathetic rest and digest so quickly. Um, And if you can control your breath, you can control your response to the stress response. So um, Brian McKenzie has an app called State. And that's one of my favorite ones because when you first get it, it measures your exhalation and then it's almost like a competition. So you keep going back to it and um, it, you, you work on getting your exhalation longer and longer. And the cool thing about that is for meditation, like I have the monkey mind like no one else. I can't sit there and, and try to like function through something. So this is two minutes or five minutes and I can pick which one I want. And it's perfect for me because I'm getting benefit from breath work and I don't have to sit there for half an hour, you know? I, th- I think that would do me wonders and it comes down to that just sitting down and, and applying yourself and doing it. Maybe it'll be my, my real project during the pandemic to take on some <laughs> breath work. Your isolation project. <laughs> I will. I, def- I definitely will. Awesome. Um, anything else? Like I think I've been finishing most of the podcasts with one thing you'd like to leave athletes, but I feel like you, you made a really good point earlier to kind of not give up on your dream if that truly is what you want. What about on the business side of things for like athletes who maybe don't see the opportunity in business? What would you say there? That's a tough one. I think, I think if you're, if you have interest in a, in a business field athlete or not, um, it's got to be a, an itch that you scratch in a very strategic way um, because you can definitely go down a hole or a road that, you know, can hurt you physically, financially. Um, and you have to understand the whole idea of, you have to understand things like cash flow, like people management, um, understanding that uh, if you build something, they won't necessarily come, for lack of a better term. But my, my advice to someone who specifically is an athlete and is very interested in business would be find something that works for you uh, in an athletic space, something that is not a skill that means, you know, swinging a bat or taking a slap shot um, and apply it to business. And the preparation example I gave earlier was, was definitely one for me where I know that one thing I need is preparation. And I do that the same way I would for an athletic contest. And in doing that, I think you could take it a step further and apply that to a schedule. And I'm, I'm very schedule oriented where, you know, I, sometimes what I'll do is I will create like a mini training camp for me. And there's either two kinds. One is, one is a physical training camp where I'm doing like two a days for a weekend and uh, having like a nice bath at my house. And I feel like I'm in like a training camp again. And it's really like a mental reset. And the second one is like a, a business training camp where I'm taking on these projects that are applied to my business, whether it's creating a new product for an existing product line, or maybe in your case, I'm starting a podcast or anything like that. And then the hours after that, that I'm not working that project, I'm listening to applicable information, whether it's podcast or a YouTube video or so on. It's very much catered towards that one thing. 
And, and that's another example of something that I do um, from a preparation perspective and a scheduling perspective that allows me to, to kind of excel outside of, you know, the nine to five because I'm doing it in my own time. So as an example, it's one thing I would do as an athlete that I've transferred over to my business life. And it's, it's done wonders for me. And I know some of my good friends, I, can, I even would bring them into my training camp lifestyle. I'd say, do you want to do a training camp this weekend? And we do it together. Um, and that's happened numerous times and it's something I'll continue to do. Yeah, I love that idea. And especially like the preparation phase of all of this and you never stop learning, right? And the second you think you know it all, like <laughs> you should get crushed down to the beginning again because there's a new podcast that has a brand new idea and things like this pandemic change everything, right? So you have to reshift how you're going to, you know, go about business. So I think those are wicked tips. My last question for you is if you, I think I know the answer to this, um, but if you could build your dream supplement, what would be in it? We'll be in it. Yeah. Like the ingredients, what would it do? Oh, okay. Maybe what would it, maybe both. I think some, well, you're not, you know, you don't have the answer. The answer would be a supplement, a pill I would take. And I'm just like, I don't know, like the rock. Boom. Done. <laughs> just but, completely transforms you. Just like chisel. <laughs> um, but from a real, realistically, it would be something that allows me to be fully caffeinated mentally alert when I need it to be. And then I can like drink some water and I'm back to normal. And then I just like press a button and I'm full on again. So I think kind of that's how my day goes is like, I need to be super mentally alert and call it caffeinated for, let's say morning workout first three or four hours of the day, that caffeine overdose is, is carrying on. You need to be refilled 10 or 12 times in my case, but something that I can kind of like turn on and off without uh, the crash, the inevitable crash, but it's definitely surrounding stimulants as you already knew or just, yeah. just turn into like some complete stud. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. That would be ideal for sure. Um, are you open to people kind of contacting you or reaching out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Where can they find you at? So I'm at Mike Barbs and my K E B A R B Z on Instagram and you can hit me up there anytime. And they should check out harvest too. Hey, yeah, so Order Harvest on Instagram and orderharvest.ca uh, right now is up as a landing page. And uh, if you send me a DM uh, about Harvest or about uh, hearing me on this podcast, we'll sign you up for our newsletter where you get free gifts for when we open. Free gifts, yay! Uh, that's awesome. And maybe like you will have one of the first uh, opening parties once we can all hang out again, hey? If that was the case, we'd, we'd sell out right away. Yeah, that would be sweet. Well, um, thanks so much, man. Like, um, I appreciate your time so much. And I really think like you have a lot to offer for, you know, long, young athletes on the entrepreneurship side and building a business. So if you're cool with it, I definitely recommend people reach out to you and, and get some tips and tricks and stuff. Absolutely. I'd love that. Awesome, man. Thanks again. Nice seeing you. You as well. Thank you.